Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 6, The Abandoned, teleplay by D. Thomas Mayo and Steve Warnick, and directed by Avery Brooks. This oh, episode I think I know aired- him. <laughs> right? Is this... Is this a Halloween episode? It aired on October 31st, 1994. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a uh, Halloween episode. That was like, I've been catching up recently on episodes of the Blank Check podcast that like I missed early on in the COVID era because I didn't have a lot of capacity for, for podcasts then. And I was right. listening to the In the Cut episode of the Gene Campion series. Um and that movie came out on October 31st, and it's not a Halloween movie at all. So it's just funny. It's made me think about it. Also, if you haven't seen In the Cut, great movie. This week on Deep Space Nine, Quark finds an abandoned Jem'Hadar child, and Odo is the only person who can control him. I also find that that is not actually what happens. I don't think anyone's controlling this child. Side note. <laughs> yeah, like... Okay, so, all right, stop, collaborate, and podcast. Um, so I guess we'll start, Elise, I'm with glad the... I'm si- don't get me started, because I know all the lyrics to that song. Elise <laughs> is back with a brand new invention, something, grab a hold of me tightly, feels like a... Flows podcast! Flows. Daily and nightly. <laughs> um, it's flows, not feels, but still, it works. Flows like a podcast, there we go. All right, Elise, so we'll start this episode... The same way we do every night, Pinky. Did you remember The Abandoned Season 3, Episode 6, upon your first Um, time watching it again? Yes, I did remember this episode. I remembered the Odo quarters Mm -hmm. scene with Mm -hmm. Kira, and I remembered the Jake and Ben stuff. I didn't remember so much the Jem'Hadar child aspect. You didn't remember the, the stuff of the bebe? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Moira. I mean, that's just how we how we say that word here in Canada. <laughs> Canada. <sure. laughs> uh, so how you weren't you weren't feeling this episode? Then you remembered it, but you weren't feeling it. I feel kind of guilty to say that I mostly found the Jem'Hadar plotline to be boring, but it wasn't the acting or the directing. Um, it was really just the story plot. I just was not interested in this child. And I mean, I was a little bit interested in the like explore exploration of Odo's guilt, I guess. <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, Can you that, tell me like, more about the guilt or why you feel like it was guilt? Like he, uh, he, I got that impression that he was like trying to save his, this kid because he felt bad about what his, species had done to him interesting interesting because like my read was more about odo wanting to give the nameless jemhadar child yeah we never get a name for this kid i don't think we do do we i don't recall if we did and i just rewatched it this morning again before yeah i don't think so either to give him the options to like not choose violence right and to like I, I found it was kind of really similar to an episode we covered last season, the one with Odo Jr., um, yeah. as he was so dubbed with, with Dr. Mora, where 
Odo is trying to give a sentient life the options or the choices that like mm-hmm. Odo didn't have when he was, you know, a sci- like a scientific sample, right? Okay, and like so kind of. I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. Okay, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think they necessarily. Yeah. So, like, I agree with you. Either. Also, yeah. I I agree with everything you're saying. Is what I'm trying to say. But I still think that part of it was guilt. Right. No. Fair enough. And Ronald Ronald D. Moore, who is one of the writing staff, supervising producer credit right now, moved over. This is his first season on Deep Space, having moved over from TNG. Has a quote mm-hmm. that. He basically agrees with you, Elise. Um, it says, quote, It's a good episode and an important one to tell things about the Jem'Hadar that were different than we had dealt with before. I thought it was a good opportunity to show Odo's feelings for his people, but the scenes should have been deeper. Act 5 is particularly rushed and doesn't pay off as satisfying as it could have. So I think Ron likes the episode a little bit more than you do, but I think he agrees with you in, in some of its its limitations. Right? right. And the way it kind of rushes to the conclusion which which isn't my nominee for the most star trek thing ever but like it (laughs) it definitely could and like what what this episode introduces to deep space nine and introduces to the lore which will come up and be more more overtly textual or more overtly text later is that the jemhadar and also the vorta who are are also cloned and genetically engineered by the founders consider the founders to be divine right they like mm-hmm. and much later you hear them more explicitly referred to as gods right and that's like the deferential behavior why the jemhadar you know he lit the first time he sees odo and this is actually one of my like i think favorite shots that brooks does in this episode where the the Jem'Hadar shot from behind office and sees Odo and like he starts kneeling and is like literally like prostrating himself to right. Odo. And we also learn about I don't know if Ketrasel White is name checked in this episode, but that's the the drug that Jem'Hadar are, are born addicted right. to that's used as a, a method of, of control yeah, I don't by the remember there being Dominions a name and Founders. For it. But that's that's what ends up being called later. But just like the psychology of the founders to not only like create a species of super soldiers that are born addicted to a drug that you can control that can't be like yeah, replicated. So it's and, a bigger dependence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then also to like genetically encode that like these people think you're divine. Right. Because the like, whole time it's the kind kid of fucked was up. talking about the hierarchy of people. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah and it's just like yeah like the whole like and this is where like it's not like super like deeply like in the episode but longtime listeners of this podcast will know that like this kind of like theology like religious study shit is kind of my swag and like the idea of like the like man god thing is not something that's like unique to Christianity. Like the idea of talking about like you know the personification of like God in human form. It's like I mean, it's like Alexander the Great. It's 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 like lots of examples over history that like predate the Christian tradition. 
Right. But like, there's that just is something, something we that is something we don't do us Jewish people. No, definitely not. And that's where it's kind of like where <laughs> Christianity it, it becomes more and more of right. this like offshoot that makes it really distinct from what. That's why the whole idea of like. And I mean, you would know this. I'm like preaching to the choir here, but in case our <laughs> listeners don't know, we don't, you'll hear we especially don't, we don't mess it, with idols. I'll just yeah. use it that way. <laughs> that's why the whole idea of like the the air quotes Judeo Christian tradition is total bullshit. But no, just like I think there's there's something interesting to kind of explore there in the kind of fascistic tendencies of the founders, and I think it kind of is a really fucked up element that like I just took at face value before, but in this rewatch, it's like, that's like hella fucked up. Like it's just really weird. Yes. And like to this episode kind of reminded me a bit of the next generation episode measure of a man where it's like, that's the like, is data a sentient human being sentient being right. who like, you know, doesn't have to report is, is data man or machine. Is he a Muppet or a man? <laughs> um, I was going to say, he's a machine of a man. <clears throat> or a, I don't remember what the opposite was. Oh, a very man, wait, a very manly machine is the other one. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, just like, it's I also. watched that recently. <laughs> it's also kind of fucked up that Starfleet would be like, oh, no, we're going to send this like creature to a lab. Right? And like, again, like, yeah. this isn't. This isn't my nominee for most Star Trek moment. Probably could have been. But it's like early in Deep Space Nine in season one, they're like, murdering your own clone is still murder. Whereas it's like, you don't want to repatriate this Jem'Hadar. You just want to study him. Like, it just, I don't know. There's like... Yeah. Yep. I think there are some bones of like a really interesting episode here. But I think some of it just really gets flattened and not really explored and just kind of, I don't know hand waved away yes yeah um i feel like i have some stuff to say about ben and jake but since we've mostly discussed this the gem hadar kid i think we should quickly tell the rest of the talk about the rest of the gem hadar stuff um and then we can do jake and ben after if that makes sense sure yeah because the whole thing comes they (laughs) Not to get into, like, the plot too much, but, like, Quark accidentally buys a baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> you bought a child <laughs> was, like, the best line reading from Avery Brooks. I don't I could just watch that over and over again. So that lady sells this wreckage to Quark, and I actually... Leo pointed when he was about to open the thing with the baby because I was like, "What is that, Grogu or something?" Like it just felt like Barry the child. <laughs> Fuck, bang my knee. So a lot of the episode was them trying to like figure out what species this child was because it had a high metabolism and accelerated growth, etc., etc. Et and then it does feel very. They are immediately what you said earlier, like wanting to do tests on him. You know, like it's very. It's very, like, yes, it was interesting to find out why he was accelerating growth, but also, like, you should be more concerned with, like, is he okay? You know, just felt very, uh, I don't know, science project. Um, one thing I also wanted to talk about was, 
Odo has quarters now. And I don't know. How did you feel about the interaction when Kira just, like, kind of shows up um, at her quarters? And we, I feel like we've talked about this before. Like, Bajorans don't seem to have um, secrets or they're not, they don't understand privacy sometimes. I, at least that's the impression I've gotten. Um, like, that episode where... Um, <clears throat> Miles and wanted to talk to Cisco about um the I guess it was like the Arboretum or something for Keiko and Dax was like oh we have to let the men talk and Kira was like what you humans are weird anyway so I just didn't know if it was like okay her being Bajoran and different social norms compared to me or like I did get a vibe where it felt intrusive but then Odo says it is it isn't, and it it was yeah. a little bit of a disconnect. For yeah, me. and like like originally like uh, he's not like comfortable at first because like she's peeking in the door and he like shuts it and he's like you know my house is messy you're not supposed to see it like this or whatever, right? Right. <clears throat> she brings him a gift, which is nice. I think it's cool that he's not using his bucket anymore. I think. Um, it's funny, because when I think of Odo, I mean, I feel like the bucket is, like, a beam at this point, but I also don't remember it being, like, yeah. something that went on for that long in the show, so I, it's kind of nice to see I was right, you know, it's only really in two-ish seasons. Yeah, and, like, I think, too, that, like, the symbolism of, like, putting the, like, housewarming gift, the plants, like, in the bucket, this idea of this, like, living thing this thing flowering and growing and like germinating out of like the seeds of the bucket is like some nice symbolism for like the journey that like Oda was on to like you know have his new quarters have his new have his new like you know sculptures and trees and plants and just like you know exist as like a changeling having been kind of like exposed to that possibility is like obviously like rejecting his people and like saying hey yeah no y'all are too fast for me um but still like being a more authentic version of himself i think was was is cool to see um yeah for sure there was i thought that this episode had a lot of racial conversations going on yeah and like i think that so there's a a quote from avery brooks who again we talked about before who directed mm-hmm. the the episode from the deep position companion and brooks saw this episode as something of a met- metaphorical study of racial tension and gang cult gang culture according to brooks quote for me it was very much a story about young brown men and to some extent a story about a society that is responsible for the creation of a generation of young men who are feared who are addicted and who are potential killers end quote um i think that's really apt i mean obviously he directed the episode but we do see i mean avery one of the things i love about cisco is that he's such a good like there's only bit like culturally in a lot of media and then like news stories and things like that the portrayals of black fatherhood specifically have often been negative um that's right absentee kind of portrayals and something that Something that Brooks has talked a lot about in in his quotes about Deep Space Nine and Cisco's relationship with with Jake and et cetera is 
providing a counter narrative to that racist ultimately portrayal of specifically black fatherhood so i think there's a lot of interesting things with brooks directing this episode and i i I say this is you know a white person talking to another white person that i think show that more nurturing side of fatherhood that more kind of like holistic and realistic portrayal and i'm like glad that with a lot of these elements that that brooks has identified you know as being metaphors or potential metaphors in this episode that brooks got to direct it basically yeah it's interesting because while i do think that that is you know he's showing black fatherhood in a very positive light and talking about how much he misses taking care of jake when he was a baby and it's just really sweet and well acted and sorry you mean a baby (laughs) yes um there's another aspect of the show that kind of sat with me weird and i don't know if that's like the 2022 lens about who we how we're i think and when i say we i mean my i mean me i'll just say i mean me i don't mean to speak for anyone else but i'm a lot more careful in when i'm discussing a specific group whether it be um white people, Jewish people, black people saying that rather than just saying people of color. Like those kind of things where I'm I'm a little bit more specific than I was. It's interesting to me to see Odo, um, a white character, telling the Jem'Hadar kid a black character, which I say that because pretty I think all of the Jem'Hadar actors are black. At least the ones that we've seen so far. Um, So I don't think it's a leap to make a racial comparison about this. Um, so Odo's telling the black kid, um, we're all equal. Like, it's almost like flipping it, like, and it feels a little bit white savory to me in that moment. And it's, I don't know, I can't pinpoint, but for something about that scene that, that bugs me. And like, I feel like I know what they're trying to do, but it just doesn't work for me coming from like the cop's mouth <laughs> sorry your, your point's very good but it's just like coming with odo as a cop yeah um yeah it's interesting the ways in which that like we've talked about odo a lot i feel like um and kind of his his arc and the way the show relates to them and he relates to the show and and whatever I'm like, I keep going back in my mind to that scene we were talking about earlier with, like, the flowers and, like, the housewarming gift. And, like, that's some, like, classic Kira and, like, Odo stuff where, like, it is this, like, (laughs) soft because he's a goo man, um, but this, like, (laughs) softer, like, portrayal of of Odo and, like, where, like, Rene Aubergenois can do so much with his eyes like trapped under all of that like prosthetics and it's it is that softening and it's like yeah in a lot of ways that's like the Odo I remember and like don't despise but it's also like he's still like but like you know yeah yeah he's still got some of those other like you know undertones from like earlier in the season yeah um, earlier in the series I do um yeah, I agree. And I will I wanted to say one more thing about the the Jem'Hadar being addicted to this this drug. Um 
I I find that to be an extremely see it's funny now I'm like liking the episode more now that we're discussing it I think in some ways this episode is kind of like the Star Wars prequels in that like there are interesting themes and like discussion points in this episode like it's probably more interesting to talk about than it is like interesting to watch right um and i think a lot of that has to do with kind of like the the rapid dash like that ron moore quote about like the final act being kind of like a wet fart (laughs) i mean the wet fart is my words not Moore's words but like i i understood that but i appreciate that you um you know clarified for everyone yeah and just like that whole idea of like the nature versus like nurture argument that Odo like makes with Kira and the whole like you were raised to be a terrorist oh like, god that line you know, thing. Was... I was raised to be a cop but he was right ra- like you know yeah. what I mean um Oof. yeah that's there's some complexity in that <laughs> relationship that I don't know if it like always works right um but I did in in fairness to now the talk out of the other half of my mouth Odo always gives the Jem'Hadar a choice Right, and I think that's something that I really appreciate about Odo in this episode. Yeah. Um, can I talk more about Jake and Ben because their story has a lot of things that interest me as well. Of course, it's your podcast. Cisco invites Jake's girlfriend Marta, who is a Davo girl, over to dinner without asking Jake, or he claims like I told you I was going to invite her if you didn't invite her yourself. Which sounds like so that, <laughs> yes. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just that's it's such a dad thing to say. Yeah. So it was it, there was I don't remember what season two episode it was, but it it was a conversation. That no, no, no. I vaguely remember it. I was just laughing that that. <clears throat> okay, so there's a couple of things going on here. One, Jake is a minor, so I totally think it's fine that Cisco's like concerned about his well being in general. Of course, that's his son. I thought the ore processing plant was closed on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> minor, minor. It's like a, mi- like a minor joke. Oh, sorry, go ahead. But also, Jake is 16 and Marta is 20 years old. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <sighs> I did feel slightly less bad knowing that the actor that plays Marta is was 18, not 20. Um, that's... Yeah, yeah, I just, okay, not to do that thing where, like, you take something in, like, bad faith and make up, make, (laughs) like, talk about the the opposite of the scenario. I said less bad, I didn't say we're we're, we're talking about, (laughs) yeah, 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 but, like, I just keep thinking if, like, a 20-year-old Jake was dating, like, a 16-year-old, yeah, and, like, it's not good, but it's not good here either. Yeah, exactly. And the ways in which, like, Marta is, like, talking to Ben about how, like, he's learning about Jake through her eyes and it's supposed to be, like, sweet. Like, on one hand, it kind of is. But when she's like, this is poetry and he is such an old soul and blah, 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 blah. It was just like, oh, he's, she's just so mature for her age. It's like, she's not even 16. Like, you need to, like, get to know. Like, yeah. and I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. Like, physically, like, no, so, that had that thought and then yeah. recoiled. And I'm yeah. like, eee. <laughs> So yeah, so what I'm trying to say is Jake is a minor, so like it's this isn't great. 
Um, and I want to be very clear that like this isn't because she may or may not be a sex worker. It's literally just she's well, twenty and he's. That's 16. what I'm getting to next. So we've talked a bit about Dabo Girls and Deep Space Nine. That there's definitely an element or a hint of s an escort type service or sex work adjacent responsibilities in the way that they're discussed. Um, they have to keep the clients entertained. They have to look sexy. There's all this going on. And Cisco is extremely judgmental towards her because of this. He basically says, she's a Dabo girl. I don't want to like her. You know, like she needs to not be dating my son. And while I get the age discrepancy as a valid I don't want her dating my son like that I get the Dabo girl part I have a problem with because you're not who you're not what your job is and I mean sex workers are discriminated against a lot by a lot of people um so he's like doesn't even want to give her a chance but I do wonder if by having the age part there too they're, like, getting themselves off the hook for having the, like, sex worker discussion. Like, there's a valid reason to maybe not want these two together because of the ages and so that they ha- the other part doesn't have to be dealt with. But I might also yeah. be just, like, being very cynical about it. I mean, no, I don't think you're being cynical. And, like, I think, too, when it comes to the, the role of, like, the Dabble Girls at Quark's, um, it's definitely like Schrodinger's sex work where like it both is and isn't. Um, and it definitely has kind of the whole idea of like comfort women as you know, that, and the, all the problematicness, um, of for sex work and things like that, that, that come with that. But obviously Dabo being consensual sex work and sex work is work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, like that whole, like, this the like the the Cisco Marta Jake stuff for me in this episode is kind of just mixed all around and like I think the episode kind of hand waves away some of the other like implications and like I feel like it's uh, what am I trying to say it is like kind of perpetuating patriarchal harm in a way when it's like they would never do this this plot if like jake was the 20 year old and dating a, like a 16 year old girl like i think they'd be aware of like the yeah, implications of that for but sure. whereas like some of some of the stuff with o'brien in this episode where it's like huh 16 and dating a dabble girl godspeed jake where it's like i don't know like there's like just because just, you're a dabble girl doesn't mean you're like easy like you know like it's very yeah and it's yeah. just like that whole like Oh, you're like, like it. Yeah, it's just like. I do there like that they did have some assumptions, there right? That aren't, I do aren't like great. The... Like and like, go ahead. Sorry. So like, part of me liked that she did talk about how her family reacted to her job, but part of me also felt like tortured past sex workers of not the best trope. Also, you know, like there's, I, like parents died. Blah, you know, like it just felt very cliche. A little bit. Her background. I have mixed emotions all around. Mm-hmm. If you were if you were Odo, would you have helped the Jem'Hadar child get away? I would have. No, and I think Odo handled it, like, the best out of anyone, where it's like, no, we're gonna go. Yep. I'll take him ho- home, because that's what he wants, yep. and then I will come back. 
What was he like? Right. He was like, I want to be where my people are. <laughs> I want to see want to see them violently killing because they're forced to be soldiers of the dominion. There's even like an interesting like child soldier element that like this like I guess they age rapidly so it doesn't right. really count, but like I mean, um, that's like the clones in the clone wars. That's true. That's true. I'm glad that the Gem Hadar gets to be part of their world. I think before we like move on to our regular scheduled segments, like in conclusion on the discussion part of the episode, I just want to, I keep coming back to the Ronald D. Moore quote that I want to read one more time. Cause I think it's just like a perfect encapsulation of this episode. Do it. It's a good episode, an important one to tell things about the Jem'Hadar, that they're different than what we have dealt with before. I thought it was a good opportunity to show Odo's feelings for his people, but this, but the scene should have been deeper. Act five is particularly rushed and it didn't pay off as satisfying as it could have. I think that's just a perfect encapsulation of season three, episode six, the abandoned. Nice. Yep. Well, it's time for the Altair water thirst quencher Altair water first being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in star Trek three. And Elise, I'm curious, who are you thirsting for this week on episode six of season three of deep space nine me and the is it boslick captain i don't know how to pronounce that species but basically the lady that sells the wreckage to quirk um purple hair just does it for me you know <laughs> she's the boslick captain's always coming in and and selling quirk things in the first act of the episode and then disappearing that that sets it off because that was the same character and actor back at the start of season two who gave Quark Lee Nollis's earring that that set off the Circle trilogy that opened season two. So I completely I think missed... we'll see her one more time. Oh, that's cool. I completely that's missed that time. it was the same actor. That's or the same <laughs> character. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What about you? I mean, this is one of those moments where like the Altair Water Thirst Quenching section is really quick because we have really similar tastes. <laughs> um I did think that like when the Jem'Hadar's discovered as as the baby and like cisco's like doing that dad shit with the baby or when he's the jemhadar is like the kid and he gets down to its level there's some good like some good cisco dadding that's like really sweet to kind of see but uh i mean that that activates like a different part of my brain right so right um and I also I also liked when Julian agreed with Odo and the when they're discussing what to do yeah. with the Jem'Hadar and like yep. giving him the choice. I'm like, oh, Julian can be a good doctor. He is. Um, I will say to our listeners that this morning when I told Matt who my thirst was, he said, "God, it's so boring. How similar our tastes are." <laughs> and I thought that that was very funny. Nothing you tell me is safe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was your candidate for the most Star Trek thing of the episode? I think uh, mostly that they were trying to have some public service announcements in the episode. Um, mm. Yeah, like yeah, you know, like we we got into it, so that was that was it for me. What about you? That we have people on Star Trek watching a previous episode of Star Trek when Odo like puts up the the log from the Defiant to when. You know, I think it's the search part one where the Jem'Hadar board the ship and 
they're just sitting there watching a scene from Star Trek on it, which has definitely happened on Star Trek. I had a tweet a while ago that was in, in Star Trek four where they're the Klingon ambassador is showing the Federation council, like what happened or whatever. And it's like, they're just all watching Star Trek three on the big screen <laughs> of like the enterprise right. going up and stuff. So yes. yeah, people on Star Trek like to watch Star Trek. <laughs> That's great. It's true. Well, until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Maddie Hugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace. And you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And as always, thank you to our editor, Melissa. Until next time, computer and program. Bye.